Hello, I'm Claudia Shambaugh, your host of this June 28, 2021 edition of Digging Out, where we collectively clear the debris, getting us through the last four weeks, the last four years, and the last four centuries. Today, we're going to literally clear the debris over infinite number of millennia with the first of my two segments, graphic and performance art that deal with climate and what we're dumping. We've covered advocacy of reducing plastic, especially single use, which I like to call seconds use plastic, along the entire production stream, extraction to refining, to manufacturing, to waste management. This time it's performance art that deals in this arena with my guest, Robin Frohart. Her latest creation and production spans countless millennia, as I mentioned, the play is called The Plastic Bag Store. We're taping this today on May 25th. The film, by the time of this broadcast, will have been shown at the Aquarium of the Pacific and the installation in downtown Los Angeles. We'll get the details about the location. All that will be from June 30th until July 11th. Now a bit about Robin Frohart. She is an award-winning artist, puppet designer, and director living in Brooklyn, New York. Her performance and puppetry-based work has been presented in New York City, as well as the Pittsburgh International Festival of Firsts and the Next Now Festival in Maryland. Her films have been screened at the Telluride Film Festival, Aspen Shorts Fest, Maritime Film Festival at the Parish Museum, and the Puppets on Film Festival. The Plastic Bag Store, which premiered in partnership with Times Square Arts in 2020, has been noted by the New York Times as best theater in 2020. And that is saying a great deal for the many inventive ways that that theater was pushed out over the pandemic conditions. So she's received a Creative Capital Award and a digital fellowship from Carolina Performing Arts Center for the Plastic Bag Store. And she's been recipient of Made in New York Women's Fund Grant Award and Guggenheim Fellowship. She is a McDowell Fellow and a member in good standing of both the Walgreens and CVS Rewards programs, the context of which listeners you will get when you are treating yourself to the downtown LA installation of the plastic bag store. I saw the film earlier this week and I'm already out there promoting your work. Congratulations and welcome to Digging Out, Robin Frohart. Thank you so much for having me. It's a smart and a very sweet, this production, but you say that you're not not aiming for young audiences, but Robin, talk about whom you're trying to reach with the plastic bag store. Well, I guess I'm trying to reach everybody. (laughs) It's definitely, you know, it's a very like colorful production and a lot of puppets, but it's not necessarily for children. It's for everybody because we're all living on planet Earth uh, and this affects all of us. And I think there is something for sort of all age levels involved in the show, for sure. And I want to start with the kind of the origin here that the Henson conglomerate and I say that affectionately conglomerate, knew you had something when they supported this project with some seed funds about five years ago. Robin, was this a concept over which you'd been ruminating quite a long time? Oh yeah, I mean, I think I thought of the idea maybe like 10 years ago or something, um, you know, just being sort of 
disgusted with how much packaging and waste was created just through my daily life and seeing the amount of packaging in a regular grocery store and thinking it was just so much that it was actually kind of ridiculous and that it might be funny to make this fake grocery store that only sold packaging just as a way to sort of highlight this. And that was where the original idea came from. But over the years, you know, it sort of evolved and I wrote a whole puppet play that fits inside of it. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's definitely a, a many years of rumination to get us to this point. Well, and I want listeners to understand, maybe it fits inside the store, the bodega, if, if people are in New York City, but it actually, the store is like the small segment and you're taking us through time and space so expansively. It's a wonderfully imaginative. So I, I would like for you to talk about then after you've been ruminating on this project, talk about the collaboration, Robin, between the creators and the performers and the, the puppeteers, the designers, the musicians, the composers and all that. How about that collaboration? Do they keep bringing more and more sort of dimensions to what this project could do? Yeah, definitely. It took many hands working together to uh, create all of this. And so I work with a team of puppeteers developing the show. Um, and because of the style of puppetry that we use, there's not a lot of dialogue that the puppets are directly speaking. So we have to really show what they're feeling and what they're thinking just through their movement and their gestures. And the style of puppetry we use, it's many puppeteers working together to animate one character. And so we all have to be very in sync and we all have to work together really closely in rehearsal to sort of discover how to tell the story just through body language, kind of like a silent movie, you know, and, and how each gesture works. And that's a very collaborative process. It's not necessarily something I can just write down on the page and, and have someone act out. I have to, we have to, yeah, really get inside each other's heads and through a lot of trial and error, figure it out. And then the, the music is a really large component of this project as well. And I work with a longtime friend and collaborator, Freddie Price. And so there's, you know, so much original and powerful and beautiful music in the show that really brings the whole thing to life. It would be very flat without it. Absolutely. Freddie Price's music really carries the patron, the, the viewer, very well throughout the whole production. We're conscious of it and it sort of, and it moves us through, we're not conscious of it. And speaking of being conscious of elements though, those puppeteers, although they're very present, it's uncanny how all of you have orchestrated their movements so that it doesn't at all impinge on the characters conveying their feel. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a kind of, an, we've all been working together for many years. It shows. Well. Yeah, we worked on a, uh, my previous show, The Pigeoning was the same cast. And so in, and we toured that show around for quite a long time. And so we've sort of developed our own secret language with each other. And we understand each other in that special way. Yeah, it, it really does. It is a marvel. It's seamless. So Robin, could you walk us through a bit about the products on the shelf and and we're there's no spoiler alerts there's so much that comes through the storytelling so i'd like it if you could just tease the listeners with some of the examples of your wares yeah so you know we collected thousands and thousands of plastic bags and 
oh, caps, caps, lids, yeah. and all kinds of uh, various plastic detritus. And so, you know, the produce is all sculpted from different colored plastic bags. There's meat in, you know, used styrofoam trays that we've sculpted. And uh, there's a whole brand new seafood section and the flower department. And, uh, and then we also uh, designed um, some of our own like boxes and cans with sort of our sort of like dark and satirical take on some familiar products like breakfast cereals and whatnot. Um, and then we like filled those boxes full of plastic crap. Um, and so there's a lot of humor and a lot of puns, um, but everything is sort of it's just kind of one joke over and over again. Everything's bags, <laughs> bags, bags, bags. Um, but there's an incredible amount of detail. And it's, what's really surprising is how much it just looks like a regular grocery store when you walk in. So, and the, because of the installation being an immersive experience then versus viewing the film, what the visit to downtown Los Angeles installation, we can look up closely at those products, correct? Yes, yeah. Uh, because there's so many, you put so many punchlines on some of those products. Yeah, and you can like read the backs of the boxes and the ingredient lists and the little like games on the back of the cereal boxes. And there's a lot, there's a lot of detail. A lot of detail. And I, I missed it when I watched the film, but as and the, the snark of the comments in one of the articles was a, there's even a gluten-free kind of a, an offering in there. So it's like, no, nothing's oh, yeah. missed there. It's actually <laughs> but, all gluten-free. This <laughs> okay. Just not plastic free, not fuel, yeah. uh, uh, fossil fuel free, not. It's nothing but fossil fuel. So for those of you who've just joined us on Digging Out, my guest is Robin Frohart, award-winning artist, puppet designer, and director. She's the creator of the Plastic Bag Store that is, is in an installation downtown Los Angeles from June 30th through July 11th. Well, let's, without further ado, tell us exactly where it is located and the, the kinds of hours that you'll be keeping so that we can make sure everybody has a chance to go and experience this. Yes, so the Plastic Bag Store is at 661 Imperial Street in downtown Los Angeles. It's open June 30th to July 11th. And if you go to cap.ucla.edu, you'll be able to follow a link to get all of the different time slots. And you do have to sign up in advance. Some of the just installation times are free, but if you want to see the activated film and performance, which I highly recommend that. Yes. That's really the soul of the project. Those are our tickets that you have to buy. But yeah, options for everybody. So yeah, cap.ucla.edu. And I wasn't sure if uh, the, the store font, it sure did look familiar, the plastic bag store. Were you, were you intentionally giving a nod to the company that uses that famously? Oh, well, I mean, that font is sort of derived from, uh, you know, that's a pretty common font that's on a lot of plastic bags. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but I noticed there's a, a particular purveyor of caffeine products that uses that. So I wasn't sure, but because um, it, otherwise it's, it, yeah, you're right. It's a very ubiquitous font. It gives us a familiar feeling, which I guess is the point, is how yeah. big, ubiquitous that the plastic is. Yeah, we play with a lot of, there's a lot of fonts and a lot of graphic design uh, and a lot of sort of playing with some of the ideas of branding and packaging throughout the store. 
So I, I guess it's sort of an occupational hazard, is it, Robin, when you're uh, on this creative tear of putting this together, you're constantly thinking about what else you can incorporate in this. I mean, this must just take up a lot of bandwidth where you keep wanting to tweak it and add it and make it better. Oh, definitely. I'm always adding to it, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, and I'll find a certain kind of plastic bag or cap or something and, and you know, get inspired to make something new out of it. Um, yeah, definitely always on the hunt for... Uh, different certain colors of plastic bags and it's sort of yeah it's always in the back of my mind sort of looking out for new stuff and I promise that there aren't spoiler alerts but I guess at a risk of uh, maybe overtelling one product but that there is the plastic cap that's used on drinks that are are sold that uh, with the straw how did you come up with the interpretation millennia from now, the interpretation of what that actually did. Oh yeah, so well, to explain a little bit, you know, part of the, and I think spoiler alerts are okay, because there's- <laughs> There's so many things we can't, yeah. You know, part of the film is somebody in the future excavating some of our plastic trash and not understanding what its function is. Um, and sort of misinterpreting what everything was used for. Um, and so, yeah, that was very fun to like, look at all these everyday objects that we know and see and are very obvious what they're for, but trying to like, look at them from a different angle as if we were in the future and we didn't know what it was. And so there's a lot of funny misinterpretations of plastic uh, trash in the show. So how did you come up with though that plastic cap and the straw, what that meant? I mean, did you come, have several different purposes and you thought, no, this is the one that's gonna, we're, we're gonna yeah, use I don't know, a lot of it was just guessing, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, just look, trying to look at it in a different way and then that just happened, that just, the ideas come that way, I guess. Yeah, Okay. from a different perspective. So, and, and along that line, are there some particular reactions from your New York City pop-up in the theater district you'd like to talk about? Thinking along the lines of clearing the debris here, did folks see their roles in, did they get, did they have takeaways in the seeing the plastic bag store this last spring? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that everyone takes away something, that's for sure, but the show is also not super, di I hope, not just like super depressing and didactic. I mean, it is kind of like overwhelming the scope of plastic pollution. Um, I mean, my hope is not necessarily to make people feel completely guilty or terrible. It's definitely not meant to shame people in any way for their plastic use or to, you know, claim any sort of purity or <laughs> on our part, you know, I think we're all a part of this incredibly complicated um, system that, you know, our lives are really built around fossil fuels and plastic and, you know, maybe one day it won't be like that. Um, but I definitely just wanted to sort of like give a different perspective on it and to create something that was a little bit more fun and engaging on the subject and not just like images of sea life being choked by plastic bags because I think that that's that can be just like too overwhelming and too depressing for people to want to engage with I know my I personally even I can't look at stuff like that I it makes me want to block it out it makes me want to block the problem out so hopefully by creating this like fun interactive environment it allows uh, us to sort of sit with this idea a little bit longer and hopefully have a deeper impact 
in whatever way that it does. Yeah. Well, Robin, I think to your credit, I don't know that it's, we're not seeing it as an overwhelmment of plastic so much as the persistence of plastic. So for, for people to think about that in choices and choices in maybe, you know, how they participate in the, the, the broader economy. But you understand what I mean? Persistence over overwhelmment by plastic. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just like things that are designed to be used for seconds are made out of a material that lasts forever. <laughs> it's just kind of weird. Um, and it's kind of just an interesting to think that um, a straw that I used in my Happy Meal as a child, which was so long ago, you know, that that straw might be somewhere in the world still. <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> right. uh, and that's just like a, a crazy concept, but it's true because it's a closed system. Nothing's going away. So yeah, just sort of thinking about the foreverness of plastic. So where are you going to go next? I know not if for those who cannot make it down to downtown Los Angeles at 661 Imperial Street, that uh, where do you envision the venues being in the future? Um, well, we're in conversations with a couple of different cities in the United States. Um, nothing that we're ready to announce just yet, but we will be, we will have several more shows uh, in different places across the U.S. over the next year or so. So I know that lots of festivals plan their gigs out way into the future, but I, I can so see something like this at the Bumbershoot in Seattle. Are you familiar with the Bumbershoot? Oh yeah, I used to live across the street from the Bumbershoot. <laughs> but can't you see this whole installation yeah, there? Yeah, tell them. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I, I used to go there, know there, but I, I didn't, um, yeah. I, I don't have anybody, but maybe there's some, the other is there's sometimes, I, I, I can also imagine a sort of a pop-up in some corporate parking lots. Oh yeah, that would be good. I mean, we've done it. You know, we've done it in Times Square. We did it in a mall in Australia. Uh, now we're in an old grocery store in downtown LA. I think you know it can really go in anywhere. But it does. Yeah, we are. You know, we because we are not booked into a regular theater and we're in an actual storefront space. It does change the way we schedule our performances. You know, we're we're often at the at the whim of where we can secure a space. And so, yeah, <laughs> it's a, just a different different than putting theater in a theater. It's got to be in the real world. And there are a whole logistical elements uh, involved in that, for sure. Of, of course, of course. And Robin, are there plans for any kind of virtual presentations? People are asking me already. Yeah, we, you know, we, we presented the film online uh, for a brief period of time with CAP UCLA. We premiered the film online uh, to watch in April. And uh, there, hopefully in the future, there might be a way that, that people can experience it virtually. But for now, we're really interested in, in yes. people coming and seeing the installation because that's the real thing. And so we want to make sure that that's our priority. Um, and I'm sure in the future, uh, we'll be able to figure something like that out. But to the point about the, the medium you're using, theater is a really good medium for presenting these important tales terms of this environmental content. And, and I wanna say it, it's checking all the learning boxes, Robin. You're getting the visual learners, the auditory learners and the kinesthetic learners. And so were you thinking in that kind of pedagogical way of effectively storytelling, of, of telling your story? Um, I mean, I'm sort of a very visual tactile person. So, I mean, this is, 
this is my language. Um, and so it's, it's awesome that other people also want to engage in this way. But that's how the language I speak. This is how I know how to tell stories. So, um, yeah, the, yeah, I don't have any other skill sets. So this is how it came out. <laughs> but it, but this is a really effective tool that you're. I mean, your your approach is so so comprehensive in reaching all kinds of learners, and that that's what I wanted to give you. Yeah, you know, well, I took the hat too. No, thank you. Well, that's that's very nice to hear. So, and and I'm also thinking. Theater tells a story, uh, there's a, a climate story that playwright George Shea has written, and I've, I've had him on an, a different show of mine a, a couple of years ago, Dr. Keeling's Curve, that it's so, so effective in telling the story of climate change by telling, having Dr. Keeling give his life story. So it's theater really is an amazing medium for making sure that people have traction in a, a positive traction in such large and looming challenges to our whole world. Absolutely. I mean, stories is how, that's how we understand and relate to the world. So I think it's definitely going to be important in people's understanding of, of environmental issues. So I really applaud your intentional creative enterprise here, Robin. And I don't know if you're already in the back of your head, you're working on something else coming up. Uh, maybe some seeds of an idea, uh, but for now, this, <laughs> this is my main focus. Okay, well, thank you so much, Robin Frohart, for taking the time to join us here on Digging Out today. Oh, thank you for having me. My guest was Robin Frohart, award-winning New York-based artist, puppet designer, and director. She's the creator of The Plastic Bag Store at 661 Imperial Street, Los Angeles, staged from June 30th through July 11th. We're going out with the track by Freddie Price that's in the plastic bag store. Don't go away. In the next segment, Erica Hirogami and Robin Rep with the Orange County Center for Contemporary Art in Santa Ana show entitled Anthropocene Epiphany, Art and Climate Change on exhibit from July 3rd through August 21st. Don't go away. Dear future, I hope there is a future. I guess I'm writing to everyone younger than me. My own children, everyone's children. I thought maybe our great grandkids would feel it first, but it may be our own children, the ones we brush the dirt from now, the ones that will shovel dirt on us. I want to let you know, maybe this is a pathetic attempt to assuage my guilt, but I want you to know that a lot of us knew what was happening. We knew, and we tried. Some of us tried very hard. In my lifetime, the global population has more than doubled, but the way that we in the developed world 
consume has grown even faster. There are trillions Lots of dollars invested in America's military. Versus invested in saving the seriousness of the problem. Welcome back to the show. We just heard a brief clip of part of an installation that will open on July 3rd at the Orange County Center for Contemporary Art in Santa Ana. My guests are Robin Rep, Board Secretary and Public Relations Director at the Orange County Center for Contemporary Art and juror Erica Hirugami of the upcoming installation entitled Anthropocene Epiphany, Art and Climate Change from July 3rd through August 21st. I'll introduce them both briefly. Erica Hirugami completed her master's degree in art business from the Sotheby's Institute of Art in conjunction with Claremont Graduate University and her bachelor's of arts degrees from UCLA in art history, Chicano and Mexican studies. She's the executive director of the Art Historians of Southern California and the CEO of Curator Love, a curatorial platform that collaborates directly with artists, galleries, museums, alternative spaces, art councils, startups, and corporations to produce innovative exhibitions internationally. Robin Reb was previously an arts educator at Garden Grove High School, exhibit coordinator of the Imagination Celebration of Orange County, and both Cultural Arts Commissioner and Art in Public Places Advisor for the City of Brea. She studied studio art and sculpture at UC Berkeley. So I'd like to welcome you both to digging out with this installation is the focus for today's talk. Hi, Claudia, thanks for having us. Thank you, Claudia. So that was Erica first and Robin second. So the Orange County Center for Contemporary Art has a tradition to provide emerging and established member and guest artists a forum to explore and develop ideas in contemporary art in an atmosphere that promotes experimentation and risk-taking, but without the specter of censorship. And another way of saying it is, this is required visiting everybody. So we're going to first talk about that taking from the title, the Anthropocene Epiphany. Robin, would you explain the Anthropocene? I know my listeners are reasonably sophisticated consumers of developments, current developments, but it's getting increased use in the public's deepening awareness. Could you please explain to us what the human activity means in the development of the global larger trends? Well, the Anthropocene is a, a new geological era it's marked by the impact of human activity on Earth. Most of the eras you've heard of before, the Pleistocene, they take thousands of years to occur. But the Anthropocene is the only geological era that has been impacted by humans, not just the planet by itself. And it's only been around, you could say it effectively began at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, so maybe the mid-1800s. So this, it's a term that has been gaining currency with curators and critics and artists as they confront the global climate crisis. So keep it simple, it's how uh, humans are impacting climate change on Earth. And all resources, the water, the minerals, the, I mean, every, every aspect of, the, of all resources. So there are, there's a lot of artists, but how many... There are about 54 artists in the show, 
and uh, about 73 pieces of art. So it's a, it's a big show and it's uh, a little more complicated than some of the shows we usually put in because a lot of the pieces in the show are installation pieces that the artist themselves has to set up. So I had to set up a little more complicated installation schedule than usual. Usually our crew just comes and installs most of the show. But this coming week, every single day from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m., we're going to have artists working in the gallery that have come from all over the country. They're going to arrive early and they're going to stick around for the opening on Saturday night. So uh, some of the ones that are coming are actually some of my favorite work, too. There's Delane Brevik. He has a piece called Ragnarok Anthropocene. It's based on um, an old Norse poem. He's actually from Iceland. So he's, he's interesting. And um, he's at Harvard right now. So he is involved in architecture. In his installation piece, he is describing an event of fire and flood that destroys the world. It's from an ancient Norse poem, but he needs to paint on a wall. We're giving him a, the alcove, which is 12 feet long by eight feet by nine feet. So he has to paint all week long to get that installation done. So that's going to be really exciting. And that's one of my uh, one of my favorite pieces, too, in the show. And there's another artist coming from, um, I think, Colorado. And then they will be there. It's a collaborative piece. They're going to be there all week. No, they're coming from Florida. <laughs> um, that would be Kateri Gladys and Doug Barrett. They do grids and mapping. Their piece is called Eccentric Grids. And it's mapping the managed forest, monetizing trace, it's called. And it looks like they're little, uh, little bills, little dollar bills. Yeah, little trees made out of money. And so I'm giving them a big corner and the, the finished piece. They said it's going to take 16 hours to install. So we'll be there all day, every day. And uh, I'm going to give them a corner that's, oh, I think, eight feet by six feet by six feet. And it's meant to be in the corner. So there's a lot of really exciting stuff. Oh, one of my other favorites I'm really excited about is Hugo Heredia Barrara's work that hangs from a beam on the ceiling. And we're going to put some, it'll have a little electrical element too. So he's an engineering and um, architecture guy is his background. And he's from Mexico, but he lives in San Diego now. He's considered sort of a glass art sculptor, but he feels that he's really a choreographer putting steel and glass together. You can see I'm kind of excited about this show, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Well, I want to say, while you're talking about this, Robin, I want for listeners to understand that I think one of the through lines with this installation is mainly they're building on found objects in many, if not practically all of the pieces. Yeah, I think uh, Yugo's- and That's intentional, was it? Yeah, yeah, Yugo's is fused recycled glass with recycled metal wires. That's part of the deal. Yeah, that's part of why he's, you know, it works for the Anthropocene. So that's a good But one. with so many of the other artists, they're using found objects that are. Yes, they are. I do want to mention one other one that's going to be really interesting. Uh, Ned Drummond, who's a designer and illustrator from Pennsylvania. Uh, they went to the College of uh, Savannah College of Art and Design, and they specialize in marine conservation. And they've come up with this amazing piece that's uh, alcohol ink on laser cut basswood. So yeah, basswood, I guess you call it, yeah. And it's uh, the city of Boston. This, this artist loves maps and diagrams and that kind of thing. And it's the city of Boston and it's showing it with a six feet rise in the sea level, which is supposed to occur by the year 2100. 
So we've got a range of concerns and artists that are ready to jump in and express themselves and try to talk about how we can change the world. So those are some of my favorites. Oh, of course, the video. Uh, by the way, that the soundtrack that you heard at the beginning was uh, Reagan Rosberg. She is a professor, I think in Colorado, the Dear Future Letter. And it's just so moving. It's just fabulous. Yeah. So, so you can see we get work actually from all over the world. We have an open call one or two times a year. And I think this specific, this show, it's mostly California artists, but there's work from um, all over the country and uh, outside of the country too. So. Well, anytime, Erica, please chime in with some of the artists that you'd like to hone in our hone. I think that you know. I'm super biased, right? Because that's I got the point. <laughs> and I got to enjoy like who they were and what they were creating. I don't know that I particularly have a favorite, but a couple of them did stand out to me, like the work of Luciana Abite. These are photographs, so they're not found objects, but they're the way that she's envisioning landscape in these like remote spaces in which then she captures or highlights the way in which, you know, humanity is encroaching onto these spaces, but then abstracts all of that is very compelling. Like, I'm so glad I got to like, see what she's looking into, but like think through what some of these questions of like how our relationship with the environment is kind of impacted and impactful through seeing the work of many of these artists. So I don't want to call them my favorite, but you know, yeah. Well, where you've been camping, where you'll be camping out. <laughs> when it comes that time well maybe not maybe so much a favorite but like that provoked you or that really slowed you down with the either assumptions or twisted you or so I'm, I'm not sure so I'm as a juror right I got to see the artist statements and the work not yes. sort of, you know look at the at the object, which I haven't seen, right? They haven't been installed yet. I'm really looking forward to the opening. But some of the ways in which the artists were talking about our relationship to nature were really impactful to me. Like the work of Jonathan Ware, he was like discussing that the landscape as a Bible subject, which has been abandoned by visual artists, but the way in which he's envisioning it is through like this encastic process through medium in that he's still saying that it's a criticism to the discipline goes beyond just a relationship to the environment because he's also acknowledging how within the canon of art history and what you know we do as cultural producers how we do things impacts the environment and the environment impacts in turn how we produce culturally so he was interweaving some really intriguing concepts there that come through within his artwork which i found so compelling well, and that gives a lot more context. When we see the exhibit, it will say a, a lot more about their, those very graphic, dark panels that are, yeah. are they intended to be sort of uh, biblical pages. Yeah, that is what he was using as a medium. And then, you know, the way in which he processes it, I think it's really interesting. But I believe that because when you see it, it's this, you know, abstract form you can then begin to like uncover so many layers of this conversation as opposed to something that's much more like forward facing. So I'm very, I'm so much looking forward to it because, you know, as Robin said, there's some great installations, but there's also like some beautiful photographs. There's like, there's a lot of really interesting stuff here that we can use to begin having a really important conversation now. 
Well, I don't know if you two are similarly just overwhelmed with the range, the the variety and the just the deep interpretations going on. There's so much in this one exhibit. It's sort of like, I feel like the when these exhibits are happening, which is often at the center, it's these best kept secrets. You want everybody to make sure they come. And I, I'm saying, seriously, people, six hours, allow for six hours, allow for two visits. Yeah, we do have people to come uh, more than once. They come, they come the opening for the excitement, but they come back to have the solitude and spend some time with the work. Right, and so and the the openings are a good idea because it gives you a chance to interact and pull out more. You never know who you're going to meet there, and I've met people I know or people I've never met yet, and that interaction is powerful. So, we talked about Mr. Ware's work, and so let's what some other things that provoked you, Erica. I think you know in terms of when to come to the exhibit. You know, as we're discussing yes. how great it is to meet someone. One of the things that I like about openings, right, is that those artists who are local will come to support their work and to meet the people who want to have these conversations because they're already having them visually. And I think, right, not everyone reads a wall label, not everyone goes on the website to do the research, but it's very compelling to, you know, be in front of the person who has been thinking about this for at least a year because it takes an artist, you know, a while to produce something this caliber and to then be able to have a conversation with them, you know, it kind of heightens the need that you're having for what drove you here to begin with, right? You're coming in here because you care about your relationship to climate and you're coming in here because you care about art, but where those two meet are, you know, that's where we're gonna end up seeing how we can start resolving the problems that we're creating for ourselves in this, you know, universe of ours. So it, while we're talking, we, we're going to be all over the map here. We'll weave in and out the work while I'm thinking out loud about concerns that there will be a high natural selection aspect to who's going to be coming to see this installation. And so I'd like to, I mean, what are you two thinking about how we pull in more people? We don't just bring the choir in to view this, these works, but how are we going to broaden this conversation? I think this is a conversation that's already been happening in the cultural sphere, right? We're seeing museums start having this conversation. Curators are opening up these exhibitions that have to do with our relationship to the planet overall. But ultimately, it's not just about bringing more people into the space, which, you know, right now, I also want to be very mindful of being tender to those people who don't want to leave their homes. But yes, it is, you know, of importance that you engage with the conversation, even if you have to do so from the safety of, you know, assume or your home over a website or however it might be. Granted, right? Like we want to see everyone because we've been missing all of our friends all year. But at the same time, if you don't feel comfortable leaving your home, like you can still engage with this conversation regardless of where you are, which I find very, you know, powerful of sorts because we're still in a community and that's one thing that we did learn in these past couple of months right you can be in community with a bunch of people even if you don't directly stand next to them right we have we have in so many different ways that we hadn't exercised i i use advisedly that word choice um so but i'm i'm also thinking erica and robin about bringing people who are dismissive 
of the the concerns that we three share here and the artists share. And so I, it's so important to bring more people to contemplate what they're doing, including what the artist is, the, the flip sides. Benjamin Dobbins work, he's from Santa Clara. He does the Petri stack and flip sides and the flip sides being, I guess, what, what we do and what's the impact of what we do. It's a pretty abstract piece, but getting the flip sides thinking for those who they're not, they're not there yet considering the consequences of their choices. I don't know that, you know, I want to be prescriptive in, right? I don't try to proselytize with anything that I do. I agree with you that this is kind of like an urgent matter, right? If we want to continue seeing our planet thrive. But I also know that we, we subdivide amongst ourselves in these categories that make absolutely no sense. And we're very divided on every basic issue as, you know, a society. However, on this one in particular, I feel like it would be to all of our benefit that we can kind of set that aside a little bit and, you know, be in community so that, you know, we can realize how, A, this affects all of us. This isn't a nationwide thing. This isn't a country. This isn't a gender. This isn't a race. This is everybody. And start having those conversations with people, but not necessarily right? I don't expect everyone to have the same language that I'm privileged with articulating. So meeting those people where they're at, I feel it's like one of those super powerful things that art gives us the, or allows us to do, in which you can see a painting, you could see a photograph, and it doesn't matter whether, right, you're well-versed in the subject or whether this is a new subject to you, you can still jump into the conversation and start thinking through some of these bigger issues. So I agree with you, Claudia, like everyone needs to start having these conversations, but, you know, whether it be a conversation about recycling, whether it be a conversation about, you know, deforestation, et cetera, I think that all of these things, we have the potential to kind of open up within this exhibition. And I think all of those conversations are equally important. Well, let me try to ask the question in a slightly different way of Robin is, when the doors open for the Orange County Center for Contemporary Art, is there is there already a highly selected kind of a, a patronage coming in? Or are, are you seeing the crowd get more and more diverse? I mean, oh, the, the, to, to use Erica's terms, all kinds of different subgroups. Are, they all, are there more and more different kinds of subgroups coming in all the time? Oh, yeah. Or are they the usual suspects? No, no, all the time we get new people and we expand our list of people and People get referred by other people or we cross-pollinate. Like a lot of people have been coming in to paint a soul bird. We have a project right now. It's free. You can come to the gallery every Saturday, 9.30 to 11.30, and paint a soul bird. And they're a tribute to the people that have been lost at COVID. So people have come to that. They say, I've never been here before. I've never been in this gallery, but I saw that you had this project. So they been coming in and then, then they wander around they see the show so we try to do things that bring people in like last night we had the book signing or we might have a music event we try to do things that uh, people come that haven't been there before and it works right you've had i know live performances right inside the sort of central gallery there and mm -hmm. so are any of those contemplated <laughs> for this installation we'll be having the soul bird uh, painting every saturday so so, but I wasn't sure like any of the, like a live music performance or that's still, 
the kind of thing that the pandemic protocols are kind mm -hmm. of minimizing right now? Well, we'll see. We, we might have something on the books. We've had this Pacific Symphony before. Yes. Podcast dancers. But, you know, we're just opening up. So it's hard to get too many things um, on the books yet. But, but as we go, sometimes things come up. And luckily, OCA is free enough that we don't have to get approvals through big boards or anything like that. If we want to do something next weekend, we can do it. So if- uh, And you have it. done that? It's That's- Yeah. So somebody, okay. Or somebody wants to do a musical. Sometimes we have literary events. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see if something comes up, we'll do it. For those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to Digging Out. And my guests are Robin Rep, Board Secretary and Public Relations Director at the Orange County Center for Contemporary Art in Santa Ana and juror for the Anthropocene Epiphany Art and Climate Change exhibit from July 3rd through August 21st. And Erica is the juror for this exhibition. So let's talk about some more of the artists while we're still together here. Some other ones that stand out, I mean, I might... I'll maybe just mention when I saw the truth piece that was from John Goldman from Woods Hole, it's something that reminds me of what's been installed in the late fall that the Laguna Art Museum does outdoors. Is that something, uh, does that remind you of some things they do there? Mm -hmm. It's a very but new piece this year. I mean, all of this work spans about a decade, I'm guessing from the dates when I was keeping track, but... I know that there are those outdoor performance pieces that the Laguna Art Museum has done. And the truth that looks like a, a very sort of outdoor installation where the, the, the message will be made and what the media will do in a, it's submerged out offshore. The measure of truth. That's one of the pieces I'm dying to see installed, Robin. Yeah. I think we're, we're just getting the photograph of it. <laughs> Oh, because he's, it's still a, it's a work in progress. It's a tease. We have to yeah. all go to Woods Hole. He told me he's shipping it. He's shipping the photograph. So, so the material is ink on paper building yeah. plans. So we are going to get to see a portion of the overall conversation he's having with himself. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, sometimes artists will present the documentation, actual conceptual project or you know, installation. I think Christie's running fence or the yellow umbrellas or something. You probably only saw a photo of it. You might not have gotten up there to see it. So I think that's, that's what's so great about art, right? We can take a portion of it and it could still speak the same way as the original, even if the original is in Massachusetts. I mean, I don't see myself going to Massachusetts tomorrow. So yeah. I'm glad a portion of it is coming my way. Yes. Yeah. We probably won't get to Martha's Vineyard yet. <laughs> So does somebody want to talk about Caroline Jones's piece? Which one? There's multiple. All right. So I'm thinking of the the Q the QR, the QR code piece, the cloud forest QR code. I am going to click on the QR code to see if it sends me anywhere. It does not. I'm hoping that it does when I get there to the exhibition. It doesn't send you now. That's that's a figure of speech. Right. I mean, I'm click. Oh, wait, no. I it could have been the website. I'm like linking on it. Oh, now. I wasn't sure if you're talking about to her project. mentally. No, no yeah. it doesn't. Okay, you're just no, not no, no, at no. getting I a look like at it. Clicking on it. Mm -hmm. I have to yeah, put the camera on it on the on the Q code and see what where it goes. 
Yeah, that's what I just did. It takes you to digital and stone, right? Cloud forest, uh, specific longitude and latitude. I mean, it's a beautiful project what she's doing. And there's the landscapes of the Mayan dreamscapes of scholar stones. Um, it's my understanding that this was from a larger selection of works, right? If I recall correctly, there was like six or seven of them and I believe three are coming our way. So I'm very intrigued by seeing people's reaction to it because this is, you know, a different kind of engagement. You are asking people to see something on site to understand the physicality of an object. I do believe we have like an oil on canvas and a sculpture. And then there's, right, the web component in which you have to, you know, grab your technology and go and do some extra digging. I feel like with projects like this, it gives a lot of different audiences a way into the conversation, which is like super exciting, right? Not yes. everyone will react the same to sculpture. Not everyone reacts the same to painting. But, you know, even now when we're like losing, or at least we were before COVID, I'm hoping that's one of those things that went away where we're losing our intentionality in viewing artwork. It does give someone who's already walking in there playing with their phone an excuse to continue playing with their phone, but then learn something in the process. I so I'm happy. You give me such joy putting it that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm hopeful here. <laughs> yeah. So I've mentioned the Caroline Jones, but is there something uh, we we don't have three hours to do this interview? So I am inclined to turn have you mention a little bit more about artists, and then we can have Robin walk us through all the details for how patrons can be there and do it safely on the the protocols that are available at this point. There was one uh, other um, image that's uh... yes compelling, a beautiful black and white photo by Alex Hernandez. I don't know if you saw that one. It oh my a, God, yes, it's so yeah. beautiful, I agree. Yeah, remnant of an oceanfront Malibu home after the Woolsey fire. Well, you think about the fires, that could happen to anybody. And it has happened to many people all across the country. If you're talking about a, a commonality or a common experience or a fear, and especially now the fire season, they say is gonna be horrible in California. But he's, he's taken this image, it's absolutely gorgeous, and it's still, it, it's the aftermath of a horrible tragedy, and there's this incredible beauty in it. So that really touched me. I, I really like that picture. So I, You know, and it, it's intriguing. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clob everybody with the obvious, but when, when listeners get a look at this, it's, a, it's an, the utter stillness after a very violent episode. Yeah, your first impression when you look at it is, oh, a castle somewhere, a beautiful, lovely place somewhere. And then you look a little closer and then you read the title and then you see this is the aftermath of a disaster. You know, it's a whole different feeling. Also, remembering that we're not, right? Like us three are looking at the photograph right now, but then everyone who will listen to this will not. We're talking about a beautiful black and white image that centers like a burnt tree and all you can see is these like wonderful branches on what seems to be like a mist the mist of the end of the day and the reflection of it on a pond or lake or water formation of some sort and i agree one of the the things that i find so compelling about this is that it has that local power to talk about what happens in california right what we go through every fire season 
but then it also has that potential to open up the conversation to you know people in New Zealand people in Australia people, yeah. everybody goes through stuff like this so it's great that you know all of these artists are really giving us the tools to have a conversation that we don't know how to have in an international yes. scale yet that might be one of the works of art that can cross over and draw people in that normally wouldn't pay attention to the issue drawn in for the beauty and, and stay for the tragedy you know definitely thinking about it so here, I, hope, here. I hope talking about these pieces as we describe them will entice some people to come uh, take a chance on something new that maybe they wouldn't do. Come well, I do. And with my radio shows, I've never been deterred by using utterly uh, visual materials on an auditory platform. It's never deterred me. So um, I think certainly this will entice people. So Robin, can you close us out with the logistics for us taking in this installation? Well, the show will be open and everybody is invited on July 3rd from 6 to 9 p.m. I hope you can join us. Um, if you can't join us for the opening, the gallery is open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 12 to 5 p.m. And by appointment, if you want to come at another time, some people are more comfortable coming by themselves when no one else is in the gallery, and we can accommodate that. So you just can uh, email us at info.occca at gmail. You can visit our website, oca.org, O-C-C-C-A dot O-R-G. That's three C's in the middle there. <laughs> and um, see more information about past exhibitions or upcoming exhibitions or uh, more about this exhibition. You can look at the artwork online. There's also a 360-degree tour of the gallery for every exhibition. The 360-degree tour for this exhibition will be up most likely before the opening, somewhere that day, uh, maybe by 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. The um, day of July 3rd. July 3rd, yeah. So um, it, it does give you a feeling because you can click and look all around. You know, it's like like kind of a real estate walkthrough where you click and drag <laughs> and you can, like a Google map. You know, you click, drag, you can look 360 degrees around the room. You can look up at the ceiling, down at the floor. And you can really, uh, you know, get a feel for how the space too. It's a nice space. You can go right uh, there today and see the current exhibition if you want to. Exactly. Up. We're taping this on June 25th, but when this will be broadcast, just in the yeah. same week of the opening. And uh, Robin, will there be artists that will be at the August 7th opening? You know, most of them will be at the July 3rd, and they are really looking forward to meeting our juror. They're, I know for a fact they're flying, flying in from Colorado, from Florida, from all over. I mean, there's people coming from San Jose, I know San Francisco, San Diego, as well as the local artists. It's, it really is a fun night. It's, it's something we look forward to. Now, local ones usually come to the second one, but um, usually it's the first one. And I, I, Erica, are you planning on coming to the July? Yes. Okay. I have been getting all these emails from all of these artists for a okay. couple of weeks now, and I can't wait to meet them all and have all of these conversations with them physically. Yes. Yes. And I'll take pictures too. So, and I'll, I won't ask uh, Erica's attention. I'll just be overhearing the, all those conversations. <laughs> You're welcome to them, Claudia. <laughs> well, ladies, this has been an unbelievable pleasure. Thank you for all your time and 
bringing this marvel of an exhibition to us on the radio waves and at the center. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. This has been fun. My guests were Robin Rep, Board Secretary and Public Relations Director at the Orange County Center for Contemporary Art in Santa Ana, and juror Erica Hirogami, and she is the juror for the Anthropocene Epiphany, Art and Climate Change on exhibit July 3rd through August 21st. See you there. Again, allow six or more hours, two or more visits to let this all sink in. For next week, we're going to have on Nancy Cohen, President of the Gender Equity Policy Institute, and Mona Shaw, Vice President of External Affairs at the Institute. And they're going to talk about work they have just released, Failing the Climate Justice Test, an analysis of California's projected climate resilience funding and its effect on Californians by region, race, and gender.